in. We can experience him for ourselves. Um, you never know how good something is until you taste it. And so the Lord is saying you can taste and see that I'm going to be a good Savior. Amen? That's first and foremost. You can taste and see that I'm going to be a good friend, a friend that sticks closer than a brother. You can taste and see that I'm going to be your ever-present help in a time of need. You can taste and see that I'm going to be your your strength and your strong tower. You can taste and see that I'm going to listen to you when you pray. You can taste and see that I'm going to answer that prayer. You can taste and see that, listen, day by day, I'm going to walk with you and talk with you. You can taste and you can see that you, and realize that I'll never leave you and never forsake you. You can taste and see just how holy I am and what I can do by my power in your life. You can taste and see all this if you choose to trust in Jesus. Amen? Yeah. If you choose to follow Jesus. So I invite you. Taste and see that the Lord is good. There is, I love that song. There is nothing better than Him. You say, brother, how do you know that? Because I've tried about all the world has to offer, I'm telling you. And I, I can promise you this, nothing compares to a right relationship and fellowship with the God of heaven. That, and that is only possible uh, through trusting in Christ as Savior, through knowing the Lord. If you believe it, say amen this morning. So always remember, folks, God is available. God is ready to do in your life what needs doing. He is not hiding from you. Taste and see that God is good. I promise you, you'll not be, you'll not, uh, be disappointed. Now, that's not my message, but I just had to say that. Um, years ago, I guess back in maybe the early 90s, mid-90s, somewhere around in there, there was a very popular comedian who had a late-night talk show. It was called the Arsenio Hall Show. Do you all remember that? I used to watch that quite a bit when I was growing up. And I remember in his monologue every night, he would do this one segment, pretty much night after night. And, and it was um, things that make you go, hmm. Did you ever see that? I can still remember. He had these, these big, long fingers. And he would take those fingers and... Things that make you go, hmm. And really what he was at, and that, it kind of feels good to do this. So maybe you want to do it. Y'all y'all help me out this morning. I'm going to say things that make you go, and then you go, hmm. Things that make you go, hmm. Yeah. Things to think about. Right? Why has this happened? Why didn't that happen? Why am I going through what I'm going through? There are certain things in our life, as believers, that make us... Go, hmm. I mean, what, what's going on here, Lord? Why, why is this happening like it's happening? Why am I having to go through this like I'm having to go through this? And let me see if I can explain that just a little bit further. And, and the Bible says in 1 John chapter, brother, if you will, please put these scriptures on the screen for me. And I certainly appreciate everyone who works um, in, in our media department, man, and does all this on a weekly. But I, I don't give them any of these verses. I just spit them out at them, and, and they just... Type them in and do it with grace. And so I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. But 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 8. The Bible teaches that God is love. Not just that God loves, but that God is love. The very essence of who He is, is love. That's, that's Him. And He can't um, not love if that's who He is. Does that make sense to you? He is love. If you believe this morning upon the authority of the Word of God... 
that God is love, say amen. amen. Now, not only does the Bible teach that God is love, the Bible also teaches over and over and over again that God loves us. Does it not? I mean, I want to give you some great verses for that. One of my favorite is Romans 5 and verse number 8. The Bible says, but God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So if you ever wonder whether or not God loves you, all you've got to do is look up Romans 5, 8. He is on record for how much he loves you. Really what that verse is saying is Jesus died for sinners. Jesus is God the Son. Jesus is the Son of God. So what that verse is telling us is that God Himself sacrificed His Son on a Roman cross to take the punishment for my sin and for your sin. Because listen, as sinners, our sin that we had committed in attitude and in action had separated us from God who is holy. We were in complete and total rebellion against God, enemies of God in our sinfulness. And I've got to let you know, if you're here this morning and you've not yet trusted in Jesus as Savior, you are still in your sin. You are still considered God's enemy. But that don't have to be the case. The cross has been paid. God commended His love toward you that Jesus died for sinners. Now folks, I'm going to tell you something. Listen. I don't understand the fullness of God yet. I'm far from it. I don't think I'll ever understand the fullness of the love of God on this side of eternity. I don't think it's possible for me to. I'm so hindered by the flesh and uh, that, that sinful nature that I was born with. I'm so hindered by this world and, and, and wrong thoughts and opinions. And I'm so hindered by the sin that, that sometimes plagues me that I don't think I'll ever understand the fullness of the love of God here. Now I believe when we get to heaven, I think we'll know Him for who He is. Can you say amen? I think that we will absolutely understand the love of God in its fullness, or at least we will learn about it throughout the ages, according to Ephesians 2. We will continually be learning of the riches of His grace. So all of that's in heaven, but for right now, I have a very limited understanding of the love of God. I really do. But I want to tell you what really helped me when I became a father. When I became a father and I saw just how much I loved my children, and then I read verse number 8 of chapter 5 of Romans, I was like, oh my goodness. That's what he's talking about. See, when I held my kids in my hands for the first time, instantly I had, I don't even know how to describe it, the most intense feeling of love for that human being. And I knew right then and there, I'd give anything for them. I would do whatever to protect that child. Right then and there. I loved them with everything in me, and I still do. But I want to tell you something. When I read Romans 5 it, I felt like shouting. I still feel like shouting. Because what the Bible is saying here, God loved us so much, He killed His Son on our behalf. Think about that, moms and dads. 
I'm going to be honest with you this morning. I'll be completely transparent. I love you as your pastor. I do. I want God's best for you. I want you to know the length and breadth and height and width of the love of God in your life. I do. I want you to be filled with God the Holy Spirit to the point that you can't help but love God, love people, serve Jesus each and every day. I want to give you truth that changes your life. I want to be one of them. As your pastor, I love you. But if I'm honest this morning, even though I love you, there's not a one of you in this place that I would put one of my children on a cross for. I couldn't do it. That's how much I love my kids. And I'm only a man, an imperfect human being. How much more did God love His Son that I love mine and daughters? Yet, the Bible says, but God commended His love toward us, toward us, toward me and toward you, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If you believe this morning that God loves you, see me. John 3.16, for God so what? Loved. Who? Who's the world? Us. For God so loved the world that he gave who? His only begotten son. For what purpose? For whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So God, listen, caused his son to taste death so that I might have life. That's how much he loves you. So if you ever come to the place in your life and you're wondering, I wonder if God loves me, read Romans 5, 8 and read Romans 3, or excuse me, John 3, 16, and there's a whole lot of other ones that we could talk about. Those are just two of my favorite. But I can promise you this, God is on record for how much He loves you. God is love. God loves you. Let me tell you something else. God hears your prayer. You say, brother, I've been praying and it don't feel like God hears my prayer. What's your feelings have to do with it? What does your feelings have to do with it? Your feelings are so fickle, they change like the wind. Folks, my feelings can be, and many times are, compromised by traffic. You know what I'm saying? I'll tell you something. I, I come in here, man, and have a great service and preach the Word of God. And, yeah, and listen, experience the power of the Spirit of God and be with the people of God and leave this place and somebody cut me off in traffic and my feelings change just like that. Now, there ain't nobody I love more than my wife. She's my best friend in the world. But we, listen, there have been times that when we leave this place, she knows how to push my buttons and I know how to push her buttons. And even though I love her more than anything, she knows how to make me mad just like that. And I know how to make her mad just like that. And so my feelings can be changed by a wrong look or by one wrong word. Your feelings are fickle. Same thing with my kids. I done told you how much I love them, but sometimes I'd like to strangle them. You know what I'm talking about? My gosh, what are you doing? Who told you this? Right? 
I'm just saying, feelings change like the wind. You cannot trust in your feelings. They'll fool you. Douglas MacArthur, the great general, you know what he said? I love this. He said, feelings are fantastic foot soldiers, but terrible generals. Think about that right there just a minute. The only general you need in your life, child of God, is truth. Now, when truth becomes your general and you start believing truth and living out truth and applying truth to your life, guess what will happen? Your feelings will follow that. But if you are controlled by your feelings, you're going to be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. And the Bible says it speaks highly against that. You don't want that. I'm just telling you this morning, God loves you. He is love. God hears you. 1 John 5, 14. We have this confidence that if we ask anything in accordance to his will, guess what? He hears us. No matter how you feel, keep praying. Keep trusting. I know God's hearing me. That's why I'm praying. I know he's able. I mean, I mean, I believe he's able this morning. Yeah. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think, according to the power that works in us. He's able to answer the prayers that we pray. How many of you believe this morning that God is able? Yeah. How many of you believe this morning? God is sovereign. That he is in control. Let me prove it to you. Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Watch what the scripture says right here. I love this verse. Colossians 1, 16. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether it be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for what? For him. And he is before all things. And by him, all things consist. He's in control. From beginning to end, Alpha and Omega, he is in control. He's sovereign. Now, if we believe all those things, let me see if you believe it. How many of y'all believe God is love? Say amen. amen. How many of y'all believe God loves you? Say amen. amen. How many of you believe God listens to your prayer? Say amen. amen. How many of y'all believe God's able to answer your prayer? Say amen. amen. How many of y'all believe God's sovereign? On the authority of the Word of God, we believe the right things about God. And that's not all we should believe, but that's a lot of them. That's, for the purpose of this message, that's what I want to share with you today. Now, if all that's true, why do we go through the storms that we go through in life? I mean, think about this. <laughs> if God loves us, then why am I going through these things? If God hears me, and I'm asking him to bring me out of this storm, then why ain't he bringing me out? If God is able to answer my prayer, why ain't he answering? If God is sovereign, why am I here to begin with? Things that make you go, y'all missed it, so I'm going to do it again. Things that make you go, why is this happening? Why is it not happening? God, where are you? You ever ask yourself these things? If you don't, you're in a class all by yourself. 
I think we all, from the pulpit to the pew, ask these things sometimes in our life. Especially when the storms of life are raging, and they will. If they have it, they will. Just hang on. Vance Havner said, for the believer, you're either in the midst of a storm, you've just come out of a storm, or you're going into a storm. But storms are prevalent in the life of every child of God. Now, I know the name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, believe it, receive it crowd. I know they don't want you to just believe that. I know they teach against that, that as long as you have enough faith, you ain't never going to have no troubles, and you're always going to have all the money you can ever spend. You're never going to get sick. Nothing bad's ever going to happen to you. You're never going to get divorced. None of that's going to happen. None of that's, all that's going to be okay. It's going to be hunky-dory and hallelujah all the time as long as you have enough faith. Let me tell you something. That would all be wonderful if it were true. But it's not true. The Lord has taught me a whole lot about being on the mission field. A whole lot. About people, about ministry, about the sovereignty of God and how we put him in a box sometimes. He's taught me a whole lot. But one thing he really taught me, the first time me and my wife ever went to Haiti, I saw some of the most fantastic men and women of God who loved Jesus with all their heart and were spirit-filled, walking around every day, making a real difference in the lives of folks. It was a joy to be around them. It was like revival. I loved it. It was amazing. And it was, it was so good that I wanted to go back when I came home. I was like, I don't even want to come home. I should have just stayed there. You ever been to Haiti? I wasn't there because it was comfortable, believe me. I wasn't there because it smelled good, believe me. I wasn't there and didn't want to go back because of the scenery. I believe, believe me, it was the most, the, the, a terrible, physically speaking, a terrible place. It's the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. It's amazing what those, how those people live. Yet, they were some of the most joyful, spirit-filled people I've ever been around. Continually. See into the needs of others, even though they had so many great needs. I'm talking about one, one pair of clothes to wear, so on wash day, when the water got turned on in the ditch that ran in front of your house, you had to get out there and wash clothes whether you had another pair to put on or not. You get where I'm coming from? I'm talking about people who don't have food for today or tomorrow or don't know where it's coming from next week. I'm talking about people living in absolute squalor. I don't even know how else to describe it. But love the Lord with all their heart. Serving the Lord with all they had. And I thought, the blabbit and grab it folks must have never been to Haiti. Because it don't work there. They believe. Gosh, if anybody believes, they do. They're trusting the Lord for some food tomorrow. Right? They're serving the Lord when they ain't got nothing. They're giving to people when they don't have nothing. I see the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit of God in their life. I know they're real. But it don't work there. Let me tell you why. Because it's not truth. 
A gospel that doesn't work everywhere is not truth. So there will be storms for each and every one of us. And it isn't because God isn't love or he doesn't love us. It's because we live in a fallen creation marred by sin. It's because people make bad decisions. Sometimes those people are you. Sometimes those people are me. Sometimes you have no control over what happens in your life, but it's because of the bad decision of someone else, it happened to you. That's the world we live in. Storms come everybody's way. From the ceiling to the floor, from the altar to the door, from the pulpit to the pew, we all go through them. Don't think it's strange that some strange thing is happening to you, is what Peter said. We all go through them. Now why does this happen? If all this we know to be true about God is true, well, I'll tell you what I believe. This morning, I want to talk to you about the storms of life. I want to give you three things I know to be true. First of all, God allows storms of correction in our life. If he is sovereign, then we must also, we must also realize Everything that happens to us, things we perceive to be good or things we perceive to be bad, has to come across his desk first before it comes to us. If we believe he's sovereign, if we believe he's in control. Now, I believe he allows certain storms to correct behavior in my life and in your life as his children. Go, go, and I want to prove it to you. Go to Jonah chapter number 1. Jonah chapter 1, and I want to read to you verses 1 through 3 to, to begin with. And I want us to see in this that first and foremost, Jonah disobeyed the Lord. Jonah 1, verse number 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, He says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So God says, okay, Jonah, as my prophet, I want you to go to Nineveh. You go to Nineveh, and Jonah said, nope, not going to Nineveh. I'm going to Tarshish. Now let, let me tell you, what, 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 you need to get a hold of this right here. If he was in the land of Israel and he was headed to Nineveh, it was about 700 miles northeast from the land of Israel to get to Nineveh. Jonah said, no, God, I'm not going to do what you've told me to do. I'm going to do what I want to do, and I'm going down to Tarshish. Tarshish was 3,000 miles southeast of where it's actually what, what is now, it's, it was on what's now the Spanish coast. And, and, and it's a, a city, a seaport there. And, and so what um, Jonah says is, God, not only am I going to disobey you, I'm going completely in the wrong direction at the span of 3,000 miles. Complete and utter disobedience. Now, listen to me. Because Jonah was a man of God, a child of God, called by God for God's purposes, watch this. Verse 4. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so the ship was like to be broken. Vance Havner said concerning this verse, he said in the Hebrew, really what the word means when it says the Lord sent out a great wind, he said in the Hebrew, what it actually means is that God hurled a storm 
in the direction of Jonah. He pitched a fastball in the form of a storm right at Jonah in that ship. God sent the storm. Why? To correct behavior. Now don't misunderstand what I'm telling you. A lot of people view God as some kind of cosmic killjoy. They view God as a gray-haired old man somewhere sitting a million miles away on a throne that's trying to keep them from having a good time. No, no. That's not the God of the Bible. That's not our Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father loves us with an unconditional everlasting love. And because He knows He's the creator of life, He knows how life is the best to be lived. And because He wants us to be a part of what He's doing, He has purpose for us. So therefore, He has a will and a plan for our life so that we can best enjoy the life He's gifted us with. So when He corrects us, He's not trying to keep us from having a good time. When He corrects us, He's trying to show us His best for our life. If you believe it, say amen. Correction. Correction. I remember as a father having to correct my children many times and still to today as they grow. When Gage was about, I don't know, seven, eight years old, he was a wrestling fanatic. And I like that because we got to go to wrestling matches together. We went to Birmingham to the WWE match. Uh, we went to uh, New Orleans to uh, WrestleMania. Brothers and sisters, you talking about a show, dude. I love me some WrestleMania. That was amazing. I love that. That was fun. And not only did he like wrestling to watch it, he also liked doing it. So we wrestle, and he still does today. He's just got a lot bigger now, and wrestling hurts more. But back then, we wrestled all over the house, every chance we got, you know. And so we, he was a wrestling fanatic. And I remember... Him and uh, he, he was out pl playing outside one day, and I got to missing him. And, and I walk around the house back to the trampoline. And when I walk around the corner of the house, he's got an eight-foot stepladder unfolded and set up on the trampoline. And he's on about the, the last second to the top rung on the trampoline. And I was like, Gage, what are you doing? And he's just smiling, having a good time, man. He was about to come off the top rope on somebody is what he was doing. Tickled to death. And I said, boy, get that letter off that trampoline now. <laughs> Gonna break your neck. There was another time that him and his sister, Anna Kate, when they were little, we've got this big dresser in our living room. And it sounded like somebody was tearing the walls down in our bedroom. And I walk in, and they were climbing up on this tall dresser and jumping off onto our bed. Opening the drawers and climbing up like a ladder through the drawers. Standing on the top and jumping off on the bed. And I said, get your tail out of this bedroom. Right now. And if I catch you back in here, I'm pulling my belt off. And I'm going to tear you up. Sometimes kids just need to be tore up. It ain't going to hurt them. It's going to help them. And so, why did I do that? Did I do it because I wanted to ruin their good time? No, man, that really tickled me to death when I walked around that corner and seen that ladder. <laughs> I knew where that had come from. He's seen that on WWE, and he was going to do it himself. He was in his wrestling ring. It, it, it really done my heart good to see him and his sister climbing up on the 
the dresser and playing with one another, having a good time. But guess what? I don't want them to break their full neck. It's going to be bad for me. It's going to cost me a lot of money. Right? Just kidding. More than that. I'm just saying it's going to be bad for everybody. They made me. So I had to correct them. And that's what God does for us. Why? Because we don't always know what's best, do we? Just like they didn't know what was best. They are doing the best they could. They are doing what made them happy in that moment. But what made them happy in that moment was not best for them. And so as a father, I have to correct that. That's what God does with his children. It's called chastisement. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 that he, that whom the Lord chastises, he loves as a father loves his son. Amen? Storms of correction. The Bible says then that as Jonah was on that ship and God throwed that storm like a fastball right at him, that in, in Jonah, uh, Jonah chapter uh, number um, four, I want you to see something here, brother. Put four and two up. Now, you know the story. Jonah disobeys the Lord. The Lord throws the storm at him. He is then cast into the sea. And when he's cast into the sea, he's followed up by a whale. Three days later, the whale vomits him out on the beach. Right there by Nineveh, he goes over to Nineveh, starts preaching the word of the Lord just like God had commanded him to. And the whole city got saved. The whole city went into out. Sackcloth and ashes, repented and turned to the Lord. Now, in, in Jonah 4 and 2, Jonah tells the Lord why he did what he did. Watch this. And he prayed to the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my say when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before thee unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God, merciful, and slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the and you'll repent of the evil. So really what Jonah's saying is the reason I didn't go to Nineveh because I knew you'd forgive them. I knew you'd do just what you've done. I knew you'd show them grace, and I knew you'd show them mercy, and really what Jonah means is I don't like the Ninevites. Jonah had a grudge against the Ninevites, didn't want them to see them to receive the mercy of God. He wanted to see them judged, so he wasn't going to go. Now, why didn't Jonah like the Ninevites? Well, historians tell us that the Ninevites were a pagan, barbaric people. And when they went to war with another country, they didn't take prisoners. Really, what they would do was torture and kill in all kinds of cruel ways the ones that they, they, they went against. And, and it's very, there, there, there's some evidence that the Ninevites had actually attacked the people of Israel. So maybe sometime in the past, the Ninevites had attacked the Jewish people of who uh, Jonah was a part of. Maybe that's why he didn't like them. But either way, listen, he allowed his dislike for the Ninevites to cause him to disobey the Lord. Then the Bible says that back in uh, chapter 1 of Jonah, that everybody got scared because now they're in the middle of a storm. And they start asking, what's going on? They said, well, Jonah, he's in the bottom of the ship asleep. Go check with him, Jonah 1-4. They go down there, and they're in the middle of the ship, uh, in the middle of a storm, about to die, and this brother is asleep. Now, let me ask you something. What is God doing with the storm? I think he's trying to speak to his man. He's trying to get his attention. But when you walk, listen to this. Listen to this. Don't miss this. As a child of God, when you choose to walk in utter disobedience, you will miss out on God's plan and His voice. And when you miss out on what God is saying, you miss out on God's best. You forfeit God's blessing. 
So they wake him up. They say, look, we're going to do something. They start casting lots. He says, look, I'm a man of God. I fear the, the Lord God of Israel who made the heaven and the earth. And I've disobeyed him. Now look down at verse number 10. I love this verse. Jonah 1 and 10. Then were the men exceeding afraid and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? Good question. Why'd you do it? Let me ask y'all something. Why do we do it? Why do I do it? Don't make any sense, does it? God is good and God is loving and God is gracious and God wants what's best for us. And God has a plan and purpose for our life so that we can be a part of what he's doing and really live life in abundance like he's purchased for us at the cross. And all of that is possible, yet we choose to disobey. All of us do. And when we do, sometimes God sends that storm to correct us. The Bible says then, Jonah said, okay, what you need to do is throw me overboard and y'all be saved. So they throw him overboard. The, the whale swallows him up in verse number 17. And then it says he's, the whale spits him out. Now let me tell you something. I know the liberal theologians have said for years that's not possible. I believe Jesus rather than the liberal theologian. Do you know that Jesus on two occasions in the book of Mark and in the book of Matthew mentioned the sign of Jonah? If Jesus believed in the truth concerning Jonah, I believe it too. How about you? Sometimes there's storms of correction. Sometimes there's storms of direction where God wants to direct us about a truth concerning himself. Or maybe he wants to direct us about uh, his will for our life. Or maybe he wants to direct us about a truth concerning us. But he directs us to find out things through storms. I I've had that happen to me so very many times. Let's look over in the book of Mark. And a very popular storm that in the Word of God that I know you've all heard of. Mark 6 and verse number 45. Now, you'll also find this in Matthew 14. Matthew 14 is usually the most popular scripture because that is the scripture in which uh, Jesus and Peter both walk on the water. Mark chapter 6, only Jesus is described here as walking on the water. Mark 6, verse number 45. And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side uh, under Bethsaida while he sent them people away. So Jesus had just fed 5,000 with a little boy's lunch. And then he says to his disciples, okay, y'all get into a boat. That word constrained is a very interesting word. Really what constrained means, he's not asking if they want to get in a boat. He's not saying it'd be nice if you got in a boat. He said, no, get in a boat. You get in a boat. I'm commanding you as your Lord and Master to get into this boat. And if you're going to follow me, you got to do it. And now go over to the other side. That's what he's saying. He constrained them. Get in the boat. I'll meet you on the other side in Bethsaida. Get the point? Now look at the next verse. Verse number 46. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain. Everybody say a mountain. He departed in a mountain to pray. And when the evening was come, the ship was now in the midst of the sea, and he, and he alone on the land. Now watch verse number 48 there. And he saw them toiling and rowing. Everybody say he saw them. Get the picture. Jesus... Knowing what was coming, knowing the storm was about to hit the Sea of Galilee, he says, okay, y'all get in the boat, get on the water, I'll meet you in Bethsaida. And then you have Jesus sitting up on the mountain, looking down to the sea, and the Bible says he saw them rowing in the midst of that storm. 
Some of you sitting right here this morning are in the midst of a storm that you're wondering whether or not you're going to make it through it. And if you're not, there'll come a time when you will be. That's life. Storms of life, again, come for us all. As a child of God, you must realize He sees you. You may, you may think the Lord's not watching. He's not listening. Lord, why aren't you doing what I'm asking? Why aren't you hearing my prayer? And why aren't you causing the storm to cease? And why aren't you doing all this? Remember the words I'm telling you. He sees you. He knows right what you're going through. He still loves you. The picture we find here in Mark chapter 6 is a perfect picture of what's going on today with Jesus and the church. Do you know that Romans 8.34 says that Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the Father? If you believe it, say amen. Yeah. He's seated in that place of authority at God's right hand. But the Bible also says he's seated there so that he might make intercession for who? For the child of God, for the believer, for the Christ follower. That means Jesus is sitting at, the, on, on, at a place on high looking down on what's going on below. And he is making intercession for us. He is actually praying on our behalf. He sees you. He has not left you. And I believe with all my heart, he sometimes allows storms in our life to direct us to a greater knowledge of who he is, who we are, and how we can better be used of him. He will. Let's go on. Look at verse 49. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and said unto them, Be of good cheer, as I be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure uh, and wondered. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. And when they had passed over, watch this now, they came to the land of Genesaret and drew to the shore. Now, one verse that I really want to, you to pay attention to in all of this comes there in Mark chapter 6 and verse 48. Now watch what this says. And he saw them trolling, or trolling in, the, in, in, the, in the rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came unto them walking upon the sea. Now watch what it says. And would have passed by them. Do y'all see that? When I read that, I was like, what? Why in the world would he walk on past them? How do you think it made them feel? Lord, we out here about to die in this storm, and you're walking on the very waves that are giving us so much trouble, and you just going to walk right on past us? I'll tell you what I bet. Have you ever tried to get somebody's attention, and you really need to get their attention and they don't see you or at least you think they don't and you don't think they hear you what do you do then 
I tell you what, in desperation, you might cry a little louder. You might get serious about the situation. Happened to me just last night. My car broke down in Fulton, Mississippi. I listened to the Bama game on the radio for the first half because my car was broke down at the gas station. Phone dead. They didn't have a charger in the gas station. So I'm sitting here waiting for something to happen, listening to Eli Gold. And nobody's coming to the gas station. Nobody's in the gas station. And then finally, this lady pulls up through the gas station, sees there's nobody in the gas station, and she's about to pull off. And I'm waving at her out the window. And she acted like she didn't see me, but she did. <laughs> so, when she acted like she didn't see me, I made sure she seen me. I threw the door open. Hey, wait, hold up. Wait just a minute. I needed some help. I wasn't going to let her go by until she let me use her charger for just a minute. That's what she did. She happened to have an iPhone. I plugged it in for just a second, got enough charge in it to call Brandy and the kids and let them know that I'm not dead. I'm sitting at the gas station in Fulton. And she went on about her way. But I, got, I had to get serious about things. You know what I think happens a lot of times? We are so independent. We're so self-sufficient that we learn to do things apart from the work and power of God. The problem is, we'll never truly do things effectively without the work and power of God. And so it's almost like God says, okay, I'm going to show you you can't do all you think you can do. I'm going to show you you're not as big in your britches as you think you are. And God allows these storms in our lives to direct us to the, to the truth that we need Him continually. Because a lot of times when things are going good, we don't pray. We don't seek the Lord. We don't praise the Lord. We're not faithful to church when things are going good, but you let something go bad. What do people do? Run to Jesus. Folks, he's God in the valley. But he's also God on the mountain. There are storms of correction. There are storms of direction. Now, in the middle of your storm, point number three, listen to me. There has to be some introspection. What does that mean? You've got to think about this. Why am I where, why am I where I'm at right now? Why is God allowing this? I pray this all the time. Lord, have I missed you somewhere? And you're trying to get my attention. Just this past week, I'm just going to give you a little bit of my testimony. We came home from the beach last week, got to uh, Jasper, Alabama, after having sit in traffic for about an hour and a half in Montgomery. We finally make it to Jasper at about, I'm going to say, 8, 30, 9 o'clock. I go in to pay for gas and food that we had just got there at the Love's gas station. Come back out, and the car's dead. 
And so I asked Brandy and the kids, I said, why did y'all shut the car off? And they said, well, the dash started going crazy. It started blinking on and off, on and off, on and off. Finally, in the grace, this ritual burn turned it off. And so uh, I done everything I could to get that car started. And it kept giving a code like my, my key wouldn't read me, you know. If there's ever been a time I wanted to throw a wad of keys through the bushes, it was that night. So I call Anna Kate. She comes all the way from Hamilton to Jasper because they didn't have any batteries there for my key fob, bringing me a key fob battery. She comes, brings that, I put it in. Still shows the same code. Nothing works. We leave her car in Jasper, find out the next day it's actually an alternator. So I thought, well, I'll just go tomorrow morning, put an alternator on. Some type of a deal. You ever try to put an alternator on a 2017 Pathfinder? It's under the motor. You've either got to pull the motor or go take the wheel off, the whole hub assembly, and go in through the firewall. You can't do that in the Love's parking lot. <laughs> so I'm like, now mind you, this is the same car we just put a brand new motor in. I, I ain't had it back but three weeks. Brand new motor. And now the alternator goes out. I call Honda of Jasper. Oh yeah, we can do it. How much is that going to cost me? $1,100? For an alternator? Well, sir, the alternator's 350 bucks. Then we got to pretty much pull the motor to get it in. All right, well, i got to have it. Can't leave it in Jasper, even though I wanted to. <laughs> get that fixed. Or it ain't fixed yet. It's still down there. <laughs> Maybe it'll be done tomorrow. I get home then. The next day, go out to start my car. Guess what? It won't start. You know what it said? Damaged key. I was like, no, this can't be. There's no way. I've got another key fob. I want to throw them through the bushes. So I replace all my key fob batteries. I, maybe out of work. Go out, left it at the gym Wednesday night after church because it quit again. Go out Thursday morning, bring my new key fob with my new battery. Cranks right up. I'm like, man, I'm good. Last night, I'm in Fulton, Mississippi. Went to buy some groceries to cook some chili for the Alabama ball game. Car dies again. I'm like, Lord, what are you trying to show me? He shows me things like that from time to time. Storms of direction. Amen? Think about it. What's God trying to show you? What's He want you to realize? How's He trying to lead you, guide you, direct you? He loves you. He's got a plan for you. He's got purpose for you. His will is always the best way. Find His will. Find His will. Pray for His will. Pray for direction. Pray that God gives you what you need. Pray that God speaks to you what you need to be spoken to. And move forward in His grace. Let me tell you something. Jesus never, there was never a time in that story that He did not see them rowing in the boat. And when it came time for Him to get into the boat with them, He did. Amen? He does the same with us. Everybody stand together.
don't know what the Lord has spoken to your heart this morning. But I do know this. In the storms of life, He never leaves nor forsakes us. And believe me now, when all of us go through it, He knows exactly where we are. And the Bible says He causes all things to work together for our good and His glory. As His people, he take things that, listen, we perceive as really bad things, and sometimes they are. But he can take things and turn that all around, again, for our good and his glory. Keep trusting the Lord. Get serious with him in your situation. Lord, I need you. I think that's what the disciples were doing when he would have walked past them. Oh, no, Lord. Hey, we're about to drown out of here, man. This storm is about to get us. You've got to come back and help us. Well, maybe you need to get serious this morning with this same Jesus who can walk on the waves that give us so much trouble and calm the seas that sometimes toss our boat all over the place. Trust Him. He loves you today. He's with you today. He's not left you. He sees you today. Pray with you, pray for you. I'd love to. These altars are always open. If you need to be saved today, I'd love to share with you what that means in the Word of God. Won't you come, brother?